Hello and welcome. I'm Will. And I'm Alicia. This is Enter the Rabbit Hole. Each week we dive into and dissect the weird, the momentous, and the downright interesting. And today we're covering Knights of the Golden Circle. Yes, this has been this has been a big old beefy one, hasn't it? It sure has. A lot of history. Um not to spoil anything, but a lot of racists. Yes, more more than the average. Which, you know, unfortunately is pretty high. Yeah, yes it is. Yes it is. So, peek behind the curtain. The way that we choose some of our topics will go on something like Encyclopedia Britannica. And we're like, hey, this week we're doing M. And then we'll look at a bunch of stuff uh, that start with the letter M. And say, okay, that sounds interesting. What is that? And so as soon as we came across the name Knights of the Golden Circle... You're not not going to click on Knights of the Golden Circle, right? Yeah, it sounds spooky. It sounds interesting, mm-hmm. you know? Who knows what it could be? Sounds like maybe there's a big blockbuster movie that's centered around it. Maybe. Maybe there is. Or a semi-large blockbuster movie that uses it as a jumping-off point. Uh, but anyway, besides wading through... Uh, rivers of research. How how has your week been? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, uh, in terms of this week's getting ready for this episode, so we had talked about possibly doing K is for the Ku Klux Klan. Hmm. Also um, known as the KKK. Yeah, just in case you didn't know. And we we thought about it, and then we're like, that deserves quite a lot of episodes that we just don't have the time to dedicate to right now. That'll be a series. We'd mm-hmm. really, uh, <laughs> we'd love to cover the KKK. Oh, we just wouldn't? love them. <laughs> uh, we'd love to cover them in, in chocolate and almonds and we'd roll them up in a ball. We'd just love to cover them in gasoline. I mean, yeah, chocolate. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that re- really deserves, that's what you do when you're a full-time podcaster. Yeah, so the Knights of the Golden Republic is like baby podcaster. Did you do that on purpose, Knights of the Golden Republic? No, it got to it in my head. I keep thinking about it. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so, in case you're not a Star Wars nerd or a video game nerd, uh, Knights of the Old Republic is a video game that I love and is actually the game that got me into gaming. And I keep messing them up in my head. So just be aware that that might happen. Yeah, because sometimes terrible people choose the coolest names God, so for themselves. It's so annoying. Yeah. With that in mind, uh, let's jump into it. Before we, before we do, before we even do, don't jump, jump in. in. Don't, don't jump in. Oh, 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 oh okay. Oh. If you're listening, go ahead and follow the show and leave us a review. Good, bad, or ugly, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you do have any ideas for future episodes, please share them with us. You can find us on etrhthepod at gmail.com or etrhthepod on all social media. I keep saying on all social media. We're not on all social media. We're not on Facebook, tell you that much. Your conservative older aunt is on Facebook, but you won't find us there. Uh, so, let's talk about the Knights of the Golden Circle. Yeah. Brief brief overview. If, if you had to give me the elevator pitch... Okay, they're a, a secret society that wants to, that, like, covers states' states' rights, southern rights, mm-hmm. and what they want to do is take over a circle that starts in the south and goes along Mexico, through the Bahamas, 
um, and forms this quote-unquote golden circle to basically reinstitute slavery. Uh, to keep it going and to... Basically, I mean, you, you've got a big moneymaker right there. You've got some free labor and tons of goods coming out of that part of the world. And so... these aren't just intern friends. No, no, they're not just... They're not just getting coffees and uh, sending out emails on their way up to the top. Uh, they they are they are human slaves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so now that we've got the that bummer out of the way, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the American Civil War. And oh boy, <laughs> I don't. How much of this do you cover in school? Quite a lot. Okay. So it's usually. So I'm from Washington. So we're not. Uh, even though we'd be Yankees, we're not. Uh, we weren't involved in, we weren't even created uh, by the time the Civil War was involved. Do, doing a lot of qualification there, like, oh, you, I mean, you can't fight if you're not there. We weren't there, all right? So, uh, I have know. a lot of Southern family members. It's a contentious point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in my history classes, it's usually like a middle school era kind of history. Sure. And maybe like, uh, if you're taking like American history in high school. Yeah, as a Brit. I think we are most familiar with your Civil War through exactly that. References to kids trying to cram, trying to pull an all-nighter so they could talk about the Battle of Gettysburg. But, uh, the oh, you know, but that uh, hot boy Brad keeps texting them and telling them to come to the party. So what are they going to do? What a pickle. We, you know, but we never study the war itself Uh Unless you go, you might study at university. Sure. As an American, all history is American. And uh, <laughs> we we basically focus really only on American things. We focus on World War II a lot and mostly on the American contribution to World War II. Interesting. So, so you covered that war. Um uh, and a lot on the on the on the wars afterwards. No, we don't really focus on anything that makes us look bad. No. 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 Not so much. So, a little bit of background for the American Civil War, uh, especially for our, for our non-American listeners. Hi! Uh, the American Civil War lasted from 1861 to 1865. Civil War historian James McPherson, writing for the American Battlefield Trust, described the era thusly, quote, the war resolved two fundamental questions left unresolved by the revolution, whether the United States would be a dissolvable confederation of sovereign states or an indivisible nation with a sovereign national government, and whether this nation, born of a declaration that all men were created with an equal right to liberty, would continue to exist as the largest slaveholding country in the world. What a fucking boss. It's like such a great... (laughs) Yep. Like, fuck you. <laughs> uh-huh. And something quintessentially American mm. about, conti- like, on an everyday basis, referring to a piece of paper that was sketched up uh, over 200 years ago, and then doing things on a daily basis, which fly yeah, in the opposite. face, yeah, of, of that piece of paper. Mm. Yeah. Not like Brits. No, no, nobody else in the world does that. Just us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely, precisely. Uh, so by the end of the war, 625,000 lives were lost, almost as many as all those killed in every other American conflict combined. And at the time, it was the largest and most destructive conflict in the Western world. Beep, beep, beep. If you're going to be bad, be the worst. 
Yeah, <laughs> am I right? But what what a horrible, horrible era that must have been to to live through. If you're a veteran, get in touch with us, etrh the pod on all, on 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 some social media. But uh, you know, suffice it to say, it sounds like veterans to this day you get a very raw deal after they've le- left active service. But imagine what life was like before the VA. I mean, the VA is awful <laughs> in itself. So uh, it basically, for those of you who are, who don't know, um. It oversees, like, the veterans' hospitals and, like, social services for the veterans. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are stereotypically bad. Just really awful. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not great today. But back then, like, imagine being hit by a cannonball. Lost my leg. I've lost my livelihood. Sucks to be you. Here's a prosthetic wooden face. Yeah. And imagine if you were one of the almost 50% of the country that fought on the losing side. Double sucks to you, yeah, and kind of explains some of the sentiments that we're that we're going to touch on later on. As you're probably aware, the main issue being fought over was the right to own slaves. When Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860 as the first Republican president to run on an anti-slavery platform, seven southern states responded by seceding from the Union to form a new nation, the Confederate States of America. Stop me if this sounds at all familiar, but the northern states refused to recognize the legitimacy of this new nation and feared that doing so would pose a fundamental threat to the fabric of their country's democracy. Kind of like how newscasters, at a certain point, have to stop acknowledging that uh, an election was stolen, because it's the kind of thing that leads to an insurrection in the nation's capital, hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking. After the opening volley of the war was fired by Confederate troops at Fort Sumter, led by Brigadier General P.G.T. Beauregard, who is only being mentioned because of his incredible name. I was just about to say, God, what a name. That's some big cannonball energy right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, In April of 1861, Lincoln ordered 75,000 local militia to intervene, and four more slave states would secede from the Union. By the end of that year, nearly one million men would engage in armed conflict on a 1,200-mile line running from Virginia to Missouri. Yo, Mason-Dixon line. Yeah, so from our perspective, that escalated quickly. But I guess from their perspective, this is the natural, kind of the natural conclusion, if you want to call it a conclusion, of decades of of simmering resentment political tension yeah um the idea of basically having to give up your source of money which Mm -hmm. is human beings let's not forget that but the only reason they were able to pick cotton is because of their enslaved people and side note i have uh found that recently the preferred term has moved from slave to enslaved. Yes. So that you can focus on them as a person, that this is something that was done to them. They yeah. are not a slave and that will not always be a slave. They are an enslaved person. Restoring a sense of agency that has mm-hmm. already been taken away from them. So obviously, in terms of big ideas to fight over, it doesn't really get much bigger than the 
supposed right to take another human being and take away their rights completely so that you can turn them into a source of income for yourself and for your family. That being said, we have to recognize the fact that, okay, we we think of the First World War as this fight between nation states, the idea of what a nation state is and, and how nations should function. We think about World War II as this fight between uh, Germany that wanted to kill all the quote-unquote undesirables in their country and the rest of the free world. It's never that simple. And for the people who are actually engaging in the conflict or voting on, on, on whether to engage in the conflict, there's more relatively mundane day-to-day stuff. And I'm not saying that we should sympathize with the plight of the southern farmer. Well, so think of it like this. If you are in the South, it doesn't really matter whether or not you believe like you're an abolitionist. You are a Southerner and you are therefore a Confederate. Like Mm -hmm. unless you leave your family and you leave your farm or your homestead and you go to the North where you have nothing, you have to fight in the Civil War. If you're, if you're a man, you're conscripted basically. And it's, it's known as like a war of brother against brother because these are people who know each other who have to go to war on different sides. Yeah, it's like if the Hemsworths ended up going to war with one another. Think about oh, how God, devastating no. that would be. Well, the third brother. He would get owned in the first five minutes. Yeah. Would he or would he survive? Because he's older and he's more cunning. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, I believe this was the first war uh, in America's history that involved a draft as well. Am I correct? I don't know. <laughs> Let's say that it was either the first or one of the first and something that they kept going right the way up through the Vietnam War. So, yeah, you even if you even if you want to paint everyone in the South as an evil uh, flag waving, cross burning numbskull, it, it's just it's not that. It's not that simple. When you get called to fight, then, well, that's it. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's fair to say that, like, at the end of the day, these are people. Like, we can't just cast, like, a wide swath and be like, well, they're bad because we won and we're good. A lot of these people didn't know any better. They weren't educated or they... This is all they had known, right? They had always known that... Uh, enslaved people deserve to be enslaved. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not saying that there weren't people who knew better, but yeah. I am saying that this is like a way of life. And there are still scars in the South from the Civil War. It's a, I know it, it seems like, oh, so long ago, but if you go to the South, it's still a big deal. Yeah, I guess it's hard, especially uh, as a British person as well, uh, Up until now, we've been pretty used to winning wars, so we're used to our own history being the history of the victors. So it's more difficult to sympathize with the plight of the losing side. So none of this is designed to be apologist history or revisionist history. And hold on to your seats, because we're getting to the real dickheads of this story. Don't you worry. The war would escalate in ferocity and scale over the next three years. Although the South were leading in the first half, their side started to run out of steam when they lost both the Battle of Gettysburg and Vicksburg in 1863. By 1864, the North had pivoted from a tactical war to convince the South to rejoin the rest of the states to a strategy of total war 
designed to crush the Confederacy completely and destroy the legacy of slave ownership in America once and for all. Sherman's March. Sherman's March? It's pretty much one of the only things that you really learn in Civil War era. Sherman's March was basically like a destruction, like a swath of like slash and burn. That's the backdrop for uh, part of Gone... Gone, gone with the wind. Gone mm-hmm. to the wind. I think gone, so. gone, gone with in 60 the seconds. wind. Gone with the wind. Yeah, um, and th- there's arguments to be made on both sides. Uh, my understanding from some of the resources that we covered is that the North had a much greater advantage in terms of numbers. They vastly outnumbered the number of troops from the Confederate States in terms of munitions and supplies, because remember. The North was mostly industrialized, or much more industrialized than the South, because they didn't rely use on slaves. <laughs> yeah, slave people. Uh, they had hundreds more miles of railroads, which is how the supplies are getting to the front. But the one thing they didn't have, uh, according they were to, not as strategic. They weren't as strategic. They didn't have those big, uh, big strategists. So Robert E. Strategists. Lee was an incredible strategist. Mm-hmm. Um, strategician? Strate- no, 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 I was wrong. Strategian. I think, no, strategist, you were right. Okay. <laughs> God. I this messed is, up, and I dragged you down to. with me. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the South, or the, the North made some really dumb mistakes, and mm-hmm. it resulted in the war lasting a lot longer than it had to, and with a lot more loss of life. Yeah, and I think, well, that's one of the things that the Southern commanders were willing to do, was basically feed men into the wood chipper to win all costs, whereas the Northern side, I think, were trying to engage in skirmishes to try and hurt the enemy, and then uh, retreat before victory had been secured. And that was their strategy at the first half of the war, and and it wasn't really working out for them. By the spring of 1865, the fighting was largely over, and the war came to an end on May 10th, when Confederate President Jefferson Davis was captured in Georgia. Slavery was ended, African Americans were given exactly the same rights as their former slave owners, and afforded full repatriation for centuries of torture, and everyone was totally cool about it forever. Oh. Oh, that's great news. Yeah. Uh, except that didn't happen. Some people were so not totally cool about it that five days later, Lincoln was assassinated by none other than John Wilkes Booth while watching a play at Ford's Theatre in Washington. Uh, Lincoln was the one watching the play. Booth was probably a bit busy uh, planning uh, presenticide uh, to follow what was going on. It's a shame. I heard it was really good. The reviews were excellent. Our American Cousin? Yeah, absolute banger. Uh, I can't wait until it's uh, co-opted by Disney. And uh, turn into a, it also a includes deal. the part of Lincoln's assassination. It's just like a silhouette in the front of the movie. Yes, exactly. Like you're watching Mystery Science Theater, mm. but at some point the silhouette just keels over, and a bunch of other silhouettes come over and start screaming. Yeah, and you know you see like another silhouette leap from the box and, <laughs> and shout a bunch of nonsense. Uh, Interesting note, you can find uh, an intriguing little PDF with an alternative take on the Lincoln assassination, one that suggests that it didn't happen. You might need to take this with a pinch of salt, as above the title the author has chosen to include the heading, quote, Abraham Lincoln, assassination, fake, hoax, fake, hoaxed, false flag, death, gay, Jewish, Jewish actor, Booth. So, 
maybe not 100% academic resource. I feel like I say this every time we talk about one of the, like, the conspiracy theories or like, you know, hate or whatever. It's like, why, why it always gotta be the Jews, man? <laughs> I know, you're really... I, I live with you on a daily basis and you're really not that crafty. I'm really not. Yeah. I crashed on my bicycle yesterday. I can't be like that cunning. Yeah. Or did you, or was that a false flag operation to gain more sympathy for your cause? No, she actually crashed her bike. Some idiot stepped out in front of her. Are, you, are your knees okay? They're fine. It's they're, fine. Whatever. I don't care. They're skinning up fine. Um, yeah, interesting that they would uh, put... I mean, you expect to see all of those words somewhere in that PDF, but you it's interesting it that... Out in the way. <laughs> just to be clear... Uh, I'm a complete moron. <laughs> so, who were the Knights of the Golden Circle? With backdrops of these events in mind, uh, let's examine the mysterious group themselves. Knights of the Golden Circle, or KGC. Now, I'd prefer not to refer to them as the KGC, as even that sounds too cool for them. Uh, so I took the liberty of uh, reading through the script, uh, searching for the terms KGC, and uh, making a few modifications. So I hope you and the listeners enjoy, uh, because, yeah, Alicia hasn't uh, hasn't oh. seen this since so you've, I... Uh... you've edited my script as well. Oh, yeah, the whole thing. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't read your parts of the script, because we like to keep it nice and fresh mm -hmm. uh, up and enter the rabbit hole. Uh, but I did specifically look for the words KGC and give them a little tweak. All right, fair enough. The Knights of the Golden Girls started as an offshoot of the Southern Rights Club that emerged prior to the outbreak of the Civil War. These groups wanted, of course, to re-establish the African slave trade in America, which had technically been abolished in 1808, and then just kind of carried on. I mean, you couldn't... My understanding is you couldn't bring new slaves to America officially? Yeah. Basically, the slave ships were no longer in transit. Yeah. But you could still own and trade slaves. Uh, so they were primarily, uh, the members of the uh, Knights of the Golden Girls, were primarily made up of plantation and slave owners, and included rituals such as passwords and secret handshakes. They always do. Like, you know, it's the kind of thing that you think is cool when you're kids, and, you know... They're, they're like, oh, we're going to be super secretive about it. We're going to be so cool. We're going to have a fort. I, when I read Secret Handshakes, my mind immediately went to, do you remember watching The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and every scene where uh, Will's character meets his friend, uh, Jazzy Jeff, mm. and they do like the, like, you know, and like throw over the shoulder. Just one of those where like two members of the KGC are meeting in their super secret bar and they're like, Oh, what up, Jeffrey? I've just been macking on some fine-ass honeys. Have you heard these new beads? They are straight dope, if I do say so myself. I'm, I'm thinking they're doing a lot more hip checks. They're doing, like, the butt bump. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like a Parisian-style kiss on mm -hmm. either cheek, and then like an Eskimo kiss, touching noses, touching touching all kinds of parts. Look, you know, I'm sure there were plenty of... Well, probably not. Never mind. Secret kisses? <laughs> yeah. If you want to 
If you want to have secret kisses, have secret kisses. If you want to get to the next level of the KGC, you will touch your tongue to mine and ask no questions. So, they were formed in 1854 by George Bickley in Lexington, Kentucky. And by 1861, they had led a plot to take over the government in Washington, D.C. Their ultimate goal was to form a slave empire akin in grandeur to that of ancient Rome, creating a golden circle. This circle encapsulated states and countries all around the Gulf of Mexico, including the southern states, Mexico, northern Central America, and the Caribbean. They wanted not only to reestablish slavery, but also install a sort of monarchical government in this golden circle with key members controlling different regions. Yeah, I'm sure that would have worked out fine. Yeah, it's fine. We'll get into some of, like, how they wanted to do this, Mm -hmm. but... Let's just start off on the face of this by saying this would have never worked. Yeah, I mean, we watched a video uh, from the Alternate History Hub. It's a a channel on YouTube, which, as the name implies, the guy covers a lot of alternate history, like what if the Nazis had won World War II, or uh, I don't know, what if if China had never uh, been taken over by the Communist Party, things like that. And he he does a really interesting video on what would have happened if the golden the golden circle had actually been established, and there are a lot of long shots that would have had to have taken place for that to to have happened. Yeah, it's it's pretty much impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, but dream big, am I right? Yeah, dream sure. Big. Really, really shoot for the stars, and you'll land in a pile of racist pamphlets. Okay, so there were three degrees of membership. First degree, which was for the general members and members of the Knight's Army, called the Order of the Iron Hand. Get used to this Order of the, because it's their favorite shtick, and they name everything in it. I, I think it's still a pretty common moniker for, for douchebags the world mm-hmm. over. Yeah. So, uh, I got a lot of my information from an author called David Keane. He did this C-SPAN... Um, conference is not the right word. Presentation. He, okay. He did the C-SPAN presentation about his information, about the book, how he got this information. So basically, he was a lawyer who always wanted to write a book about Lincoln. And while doing research, he found out about the Knights of the Golden Circle. And he showed this book to his friend. And his friend's like, I think Lincoln's overdone, but this Knights of the Golden Circle stuff's pretty interesting. He did like... uh he was like the manager mm-hmm. uh, on the phone. He's like, oh, I hear these KG boys, C boys are really fresh. They're hot. He's like holding the phone up in midair. And like, what, uh, what, what are we, uh, are, are we listening for something? I can't or? hear anything. It's just dead air. Oh, uh. I'm holding it over your book. Yeah. And I'll kind of riffle the pages. It's hot. Okay. Um, so the Knight's Army was called the Order of the Iron Hand, and Keane estimates that at its height there may have been about 50,000 members across the United States, and about 7,500 to 10,000 in the Army. Mm-hmm. So, pretty big numbers. Yep. And it, these are at its height, though, so we're not saying throughout the whole process. Well, you go to start somewhere, Alicia. Yeah, we you know, we know that. A couple of guys in a shed touching tongues. A couple of guys in a dream. A couple of guys in a shed being racist. They they were probably like, we've touched tongues a lot. We uh we should probably tell our wives something. We, uh, yeah yeah yeah. 
Uh, why don't we... Uh, let's make a club. Let's make a club to make a circle in the Caribbean for slaves. Yeah, that'll do. All right. Let's touch tongues again for a long time. Stop. <laughs> we don't know that they did this, but we also don't know that they didn't do that. And it would make them angry. So I guess we're going with it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um. So the second degree was the order of the true faith. These were the men who raised money for the Knights of the Golden Arches and the editors who wrote favorable articles or propaganda about the society. Mm. Lastly, we have the third degree. This is called the Order of the Columbian Star. This was the political and military leadership, and their identities were kept secret so that they could pass orders down, mostly to the army, and no one would know where the order came from. It doesn't appear to be that great of an idea to me, because at the end of the day, like... How could you validate anything? You don't know who your leaders are, and some guy is just like, Oh, yeah, I heard that we're all supposed to commit suicide. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. There is a fantastic uh, podcast series called Lions Led by Donkeys that we've been talking about this a lot recently. The uh, guys who present it are either active or former members of the U.S. military, and they talk about essentially failed or botched or troublesome military campaigns throughout history. And one of the things that I see a lot, especially with the Soviet and and Russian army, is a a lack of, I guess you would call it like command and control. So everybody kind of knowing what the mission is and knowing what everybody's job is and what anyone's meant to be doing at any given time. So people can just kind of run off and do their own stuff and they just get told to like go in a direction and... And Keep that, walking. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that's all they do. And that's kind of what this reminds me of, that that lack of oversight. But again, you you got to keep it a secret. Yeah, we're so secretive. It's so cool. Shh. Um yeah, it seems like so there were lots of different factions in major cities around the world, and then there would be like the overseeing organization. But it also seems like these factions could kind of do whatever they wanted. So there wasn't really any kind of, like, real, like, puppet master, Okay. You know? Like, uh, we'll talk about George Bickley after our little break, but um, he didn't really have that much power. So they're not, they're not running a McDonald's or a Starbucks. Things don't have they're to be the brand standard. <laughs> yeah. This is more like, uh, oh, okay, well, we had an Italian restaurant here for 10 years, and I guess we'll open another one down the street kind of thing. And that's the one with the wacky mural on the wall. And we're just the... We're the, we're the original. We're the original Jimmy's Pizza. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when you show up at their secret clubhouse expecting pizza. And and then they have to, like, pretend that they're a pizza parlor. And yeah, like, they're, like, covering all their racist documents with uh, pizza boxes. Why, and... yes, it's uh, old Vinny's uh, good time. Uh, old pizza time. Pizza. Uh, what, what, what do y'all want? A uh, 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 pep? Pepper pepperoni, pepperoni with some uh, some olive uh, oil and okay. Desperately try to make like a twelve-inch pizza out of um, straw and pamphlets. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Anyway, uh, why don't we take a little uh, break and then uh, we'll come back and and talk about the man himself, uh, George Bickley. Man of the day. Oh yeah.
Hello and welcome back. We were just having a little conversation about uh, what we're going to do for lunch today. And it's going to be disparate leftovers, isn't it? Korean quiche. Yeah, when when you just need to put food in your body and you don't want to throw stuff out. And you get some real wacky combos. Speaking of wacky combos, uh, let's talk about George Bickley and the KGC. Uh, the founder of the Nighty Night of the Golden Circle was a man by the name of George Washington Lafayette, or Lamb, Bickley. And and yeah, as near as we can tell, that's his real name. Names, plural. Uh, he has been described by the Texas State Historical Association as a, quote, Virginia-born doctor, editor, and adventurer. They seem to have left out the giant racist. They get to that. I do think it's an interesting way to go, but, I mean, Donald Trump. Who is Donald Trump? Oh, he's a businessman with uh, some political ideas. Okay. According to Wikipedia... Which we don't consult, we try not to consult solely or even often for our podcast, but it it, it was difficult to find information on this initially. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the University of London, where he was meant to have received his doctorate, currently have no record of his graduation, and the renowned physician who was meant to have signed his diploma resigned from his position four years prior to when Bickley supposedly graduated. Yeah, and of course, there's a reason that there is no record of his graduation. Go on. He never graduated. Oh my. It seems like he ran away from home when he was 13 and eventually started like this trading business. When he came back to Virginia, where he was from, he studied under a doctor for a year before starting up his own practice. That's all you need. Uh, it's pretty common at the time. Probably a lot of small town doctors didn't have actual like education. They mm -hmm. studied under the local town doctor. Yep. That man's got uh stuff he knows and he's got the fallen down whoopsies. He's gonna need to The old fallen down whoopsies. Boil and drink quite a lot of his own piss. But he'll be okay. He'll be fine. And a lot of cocaine. Um yeah, so it was pretty common, but it doesn't make it any less worrying. Uh he was Really into that favorite practice of the old-timey racist, phrenology. To be fair, I don't think anyone dabbles in phrenology. I, I think you're either not into phrenology or you're too into phrenology. Yeah, I don't think you should be even a little bit into phrenology. Basically, it's the study of the bumps on your head to determine if you're, like, a criminal or other parts of your personality. I was thinking about this. You've never watched Django Unchained, right? No. Because of your twin dislikes of uber-violent movies and therefore Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where uh, racist Leonardo DiCaprio's character, uh, like, slave-owning uh, character has, like, a bunch of his former enslaved people's skulls, and he cracks one open and then explains how a little divot in his skull means that he was always destined to be a slave, and how white people's skulls don't look like that. So it's 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. based in science, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. Um, so he... He was already a doctor at this, well, quote-unquote, a doctor at this period of time, and then he applies to medical school, 
uh, lying about his past attendance in a school in Philadelphia and London, for good measure. He then dropped out when he found an easier way to make money. Marry a wealthy widow. That's how you do it, my friend. Yeah. Uh, he, he kind of, he marries her and then starts spending her money left and right um, on all sorts of things. Like, he's buying, um, he's, like, investing in businesses. He, he says, like, he's basically, I'm trying to grow your money, honey. He's I'm got doing this for you. Like a PS5 and an Xbox Series X, <laughs> even though, like, neither one has, like, a really good back catalogue at the time. Yeah, but there's he just... real, very few exclusive titles, so do you really need both? But he just really wants them, you know? <laughs> okay, um, she eventually grew wise to the fact that he was not only spending her money on drill teams, so, like... <laughs> Like, you know, are we back to the two dudes like (laughs) kissing in a shed? Is that what a drill team is? A drill team is like, you know, when you see uh, uh, like military uh, events where they've got those guys who do all the tricks with the rifles, they're like throwing them up and down, and like. Like when we went to uh, Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall in mm-hmm. the middle of Taipei and they have dudes with bright silver helmets and they've got like silver like uh, M1 Garand rifles that they can like throw over their shoulder and stuff. Yeah, so it's basically like a, a militia show-off kind of thing. Like, look look how amazing we are. Um, and he also created a magazine. <laughs> yeah, like a publication? Yeah, like he published, I forget what it was called, it's something like Bickley's something or other head bump monthly yeah um 10 reasons why you were born to be a shoplifter to be fair she didn't have a lot of problems with this it wasn't until she found out that he was gonna run away with her money that she was like get the fuck out she's like i've treated you real nice and all i expected was you to take care of that wap but Mm -hmm. but now you're planning on stepping out on me and I'm, taking... s- I'm turning the tap off. Yeah, he, she on the money and the WAP. I'm not sure if she got her her brother or his brother to come and basically like kicked him out of the house. Nice. Um, and so you know he uh, he went crawling back to the medical university to try and get his degree, and he would eventually link up with a group called the Order of the Lone Star. This was a group that was interested in filibustering Cuba. Yes. Do we need to explain at this stage what filibuster is? Oh, I'm going to go into it. Okay. Uh, It's not talking at Cuba until they surrendered. It was a military practice at the time. It wasn't incredibly common, but not unheard of. Basically, a general would raise a private army who go to, like, San Francisco or New Orleans and raise this army and then go to a country or a place with uh, warring factions and basically lead a coup to demand money. Mm-hmm. So he would either join, like, join a faction and help them win and then ask for money, or they would just Ill- illegally take over a country. So it's different to what the CIA did, does, probably still does. Only because it's illegal. It's not sanctioned. No. Yes, so it's not state-sanctioned. What the CIA does is illegal in the states, so they do it, but it's not technically illegal in the US because they're the ones doing it. And also because they have uh, less oversight from the government itself, the government has plausible deniability Mm -hmm. should any of it go sideways, which it never does, so that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, never. Um, okay, so an example of filibustering is a Tennessean named William Walker, 
who took over Nicaragua. I don't know if you know this, but an American ruled Nicaragua for two years. <laughs> Basically, he had 2,500 men, and he named himself president for two years, and reinstituted slavery in the country. Ooh, uh, I mean, there's nothing good in that statement, is there? There really isn't. And uh, William Walker stayed president of Nicaragua for two years until he crossed uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt's shipping empire. And Vanderbilt funded the surrounding countries to remove him from power. You may know Vanderbilt by the uh, famous university. <laughs> and the moral of this story is you never fuck with the money. Mm -hmm. You could do whatever you want, a little late genocide, whatever, but don't touch the money. It's true. Words to take to heart. Yeah. Okay. The Order of the Lone Star was stymied in its desire to filibuster Cuba, and so joined up with the Knights of Sidonia. I got real confused there for a second. <laughs> yeah, you're, they, they are peppered throughout. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Little, little treats. Little treats. Little comedic <laughs> treats for you. Okay, so back to George Bickley. Bickley believed that a pertinent first step in the formation of his new slave state would be to annex Mexico. He even had the popular support of the governor of Texas, Sam Houston, who agreed with his line of anti-Mexican rhetoric. So in the spring of 1860, a band of Knights of the Golden Gate Bridge members gathered in the Rio Grande to do just that. Is it Rio Grande or Rio Grande? Rio Grande. Rio Grande. Well, I mean, in English, it's Rio Grande. It's the Rio Grande. But yes, it means big river in Spanish. Rio mm -hmm. Grande. They gathered in the Rio Grande to do just that. One small problem was that Bickley failed to show up on time with the large group of fighters that he was meant to have been amassing in New Orleans. This led members of the Knights in New Orleans to publicly attack him as a liar, coward, and inept leader. Quote, and he was briefly kicked out of his own club. He bounced back in May of the same year, though, after delivering an address in Raleigh, North Carolina. There, he reaffirmed the goals of the Boogie Knights of the Golden Circle, and he was voted back in as the organization's illustrious leader. Yeah, I mean... Good old Raleigh. Sure, um, Raleigh. 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 Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh. North Cackalacka. So we ju I, I've always pronounced it rally. Oh, like a rally? Yeah, like, like a rally. Like a rally car? This is the show now, folks. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying it. Rally, rally. <laughs> During the war, Bickley would serve as a field surgeon in the Confederate Army, hopefully employing real first aid and not trying to read the bumps of wounded draftees' skulls. Before being arrested as a spy in Indiana in July of 1863, he was held for two years before being released, and he eventually died in August of 1867. Yes, justice. <laughs> I mean, ah, we don't sweetheart. we don't know that he uh, he didn't die on like a pile of gold and ju jewels, surrounded by you know nubile young women, a harem of uh, <laughs> love toys. You know, uh, he didn't. But, uh, I, I doubt it. <clears throat> um, mostly just because of the way the U.S. was post-Civil War. Mm -hmm. I mean, that must have been a horrible time, right? Well, sure. Like, that's a massive percentage of your population has died. Your young men have died. And old men. It's, there wasn't really much age restriction 
in, like, conscripting these men into war. Mm -hmm. So, what did this super-secret society of super-cool dudes look like in practice? Different chapters of the KGC were located across the country and were referred to as castles. So cool. I know. Oh my god, they're like, so cool. (laughs) I know, try and contain yourself. They were supposedly 32 of these castles in Texas alone. The castles themselves were then divided into the inner castle, featuring the most important members, and the outer castle, which took care of day-to-day operations. I hate them so much. <laughs> Organizations like this, they they love... Playing lords and ladies. Yes. And it, it kind of ties into the the medieval imagery as well, as though that harkens back to some special golden age. Not an incredibly horrible time with an incredibly short lifespan. And uh, yeah, I you've got uh, divisions within divisions is what we're going to see. The Knights of the Golden Ticket themselves were divided into three degrees. The first was focused on military training, the second on politics, and the third on the organization's council. Randolph B. Mike Campbell of the Texas State Historical Association explains this structure really well. Quote, Knights were grouped into three divisions, military, commercial and financial, and political, each of which was in turn divided into two classes. For example, the military division comprised the foreign guard, those men who wished to participate in the wild, glorious, and thrilling adventures of a campaign in Mexico, and the home guard, Men who would support military efforts from home. Bickley created, on paper at least, an army of 16,000 men. I think that's similar to the to the figures that you were quoting earlier from uh, the, the KGC at their height. Yeah, there were, according to David King, there were less than 16,000 men in the army. There were probably more like 10,000. I don't know exactly where he got those figures, so I can't say for sure. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that they managed to stay so secretive was because of their internal structure. Initiates were paired with an older member who would have no more than 12 initiates under their training. It was unlikely that this older member would know any other members outside of his cohort, and thus it would be difficult for them to make a full list of people belonging to that particular castle, let alone the society as a whole. So the older member doesn't know anybody, or the younger member doesn't know anybody? Well, I think neither of them. The older member only knows uh, a few people outside of the 12 initiates that they've been put in charge of. Mm. And I imagine that the initiates themselves probably don't know anyone outside of, uh, even assuming that they know their fellow initiates. And again, it comes back to what we were saying earlier. You're trying to chop up the communication between these various different groups not to make it less functional as a whole, but to try and ensure that if one contingent of people are discovered or interrogated, that they can't give up the names of all their accomplices. And as we'll find out later, it's one of the reasons why it's difficult to say with any kind of certainty that they ever truly disappeared. Mm. If you wanted to gain entry to the sexy 90s of the Golden Circle, you had to meet certain criteria. You couldn't be any old racist with a penchant for mysterious clubhouses. Only certain racists need apply. Civil War writer Beth Rowland outlined some of the... Civil War writer Beth Rowland outlined some of those deemed undesirable. You would be refused membership if you were a, quote, drunkard, professional gambler, rowdy convict, felon, abolitionist, 
uh, Negro, her words, not mine, Indian, minor, idiot, or foreigner, end quote. Okay, so I think one thing, uh, idiot, I think at this time period is actually like a medical diagnosis. Yes, it's like... somebody who has a, a, a mental uh, disability. I mean, it seems kind of... It just seems kind of self-explanatory that they don't want people of color or abolitionists in their group. Yes, if you are a person of color and you're trying to get into the KGC, you are either in the wrong place or or you have some real self-hatred going on. Yeah, or it's like, um, what's the black KKK? The like, uh... Are you thinking of the character from Chappelle Show? No, the Black Klansman, the movie. Oh, like they're trying to infiltrate. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, you would have to be practicing some next-level spycraft in the 1800s to to be a person of color and get into the KGC, although we don't know. I like that they've excluded professional gamblers, but... If you're if, an amateur. Yeah, which is <laughs> surely the, the worst kind of gambler. If you're a professional, presumably you're kind of good at it, right? Uh, membership fees for the three tiers were $1, $5, and $10, respectively, Ooh. and the dues were paid directly to founder George Bickley. Wait a second. <laughs> Some members took issue with this, with this uh, being another contributing factor to his vote of no confidence in 1860. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah, I mean, it was hard for him to account exactly where... The membership fees were being paid. Yeah, probably to his magazine and or personal drill team. <laughs> yeah. Bear in mind that a lot of this is from uh, third-hand sources, right? Mm. So we know the membership fees because they were written down somewhere, but they didn't outline whether they were one-time membership fees or if they were to be paid monthly or mm. annually. So potentially, Bickley could have been raking in a lot of money. I mean, $10 in Civil War era is a lot of money. Yes, with that in mind, think about all that money piling up and what could have potentially happened to that money. Is this a Nazi gold scenario? Maybe. So, notable members of the uh, the KGC, there, there are a few names that have been bandied around. There's a persistent rumour that the Knights of the Old Republic counted John Wilkes Booth and Jesse James amongst its members. John Wilkes Booth was certainly a supporter of the Confederate cause and is reported to have shouted Six Semper Tyrannis after murdering Lincoln, which I believe is death to all time, or uh, as is always the way with tyrants. Yeah. However, there's no concrete evidence of him being a member. Or, as some have speculated, the Knights of the Goldie Hawns being responsible for greenlighting a hit on Abraham Lincoln at all. It just seems like you're defaming both Knights of the Old Republic and Goldie Hawn in this scenario. No, only one. I'm sure Goldie Hawn is a perfectly lovely lady <gasps> on and off screen. Yeah. Uh, Jesse James is very difficult to pin down, not least because we are to this day not certain that he was even one person. Much like Jack the Ripper or the drummer from Spinal Tap, it's thought that more than one person uh, could have been operating under a single moniker. So the idea that you you uh, claim that you are Jesse James, kind of like anonymous, like when uh, mm -hmm. hackers represent anonymous, uh, but anonymous is not just one dude with a Guy Fawkes mask. He, no, he has it surgically implanted onto his face. Yeah, that's his face. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we were talking about Jesse James... 
You said a lot of people didn't know where his money went to, like he didn't seem to spend it. Yeah. Um, and so it, it does seem like, well, it could be possible he was funneling it into an organization. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, in terms of like neo-Nazis today, a lot of reasons why they get caught or they're, they're interested, uh, they're persons of interest, is not because they're racist pieces of shit. It's because they're usually involved in like drug trafficking. Yeah, precisely. They end up on the FBI's radar, not because they are a domestic terrorist organization, but because they do things like go out and rob banks so that they can then go and and buy assault rifles. Um, But yeah, they obviously earn their money through illicit means, uh, much in the same way that the Taliban in Afghanistan earn a lot of their money through the sale of heroin. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, we just, we don't know. A lot of people, I think, like to attach somebody like Jesse James to a secret society because it is that added layer, you know. I mean, when you look into something like a secret society, you always want to be like, well, what's the big ticket item here? Mm -hmm. What's the name I could splash across, you know, my blog spot? You know, the Illuminati. Is Jay-Z involved? So, I I should say at this stage, uh, some of my sources for today's episode were the Freemasons, and a lot of people have tried to tie the Freemasons into the Knights of the Golden Circle. The reason I mention this is because of a very prominent Freemason in America at the time called uh, Brigadier General Albert Pike, who was... uh, a really high up member of what was referred to as the Scottish Rites Freemasons in America at this time, as well as being a writer, a politician, uh, a fan of slavery, etc., etc. Now, some people say that he could have been a founding member of the KGC, and I have heard reports of this, but then find it very difficult to pin down a source. And a lot of the sources as well will come from Knights of the Golden Circle dot net and be, uh, you know, it's not a super slick looking website. And then the people who, you know, and they will quote other sources from similar forums and message boards. So it's very difficult to pin down an academic source. Yeah, it's hard. I was looking, there's um, a research site that I like to use called JSTOR. Um, but a lot of their articles about Knights of the Golden Circle are like articles written in the fifth in the forties, mm-hmm. or articles written in like the early nineteen hundreds, right? Um, and while I have used one of them as, you know, because it is a scholarly article, it's still not an updated article. Yeah, uh, and I mentioned that as well to highlight the fact that secret societies are not an inherently bad thing. They're suspicious on the face of it by their very nature. And organizations like the Freemasons are problematic in of as much as, well, they don't allow women to enter their society. They have offshoots of their society. For example, the Eastern Star. Um, yeah, for children. And then there's like for the girls, it's like the Order of the Masons' Daughters or something equally like. And we were talking about this before. Uh, I didn't even remember this until we started covering this episode. I was like, oh, yeah, my granddad was like a Freemason and my grandmother was a member of the Eastern Star. 
Which is not to say that, like, I am, uh, like, that's not how it works. You can't be, like, a hereditary member of these societies. You still have to, like, apply for your own membership. But it is to say that some of the uh, sources for today's episode are drawn from them. And then you will find other websites where they're, like, uh, how the Freemasons had a hand in forming the KGC and why they're in league with the devil and why they're in league with the Illuminati. And so it's clearly Freemasons will hold their hands up and say, there are elements of masonry that are in this society. Look at the secret handshakes, look at the symbols, the importance of numbers, etc., etc. And then there are other people who clearly have a grudge against the Freemasons who are, are like, yes, of course, and it's so they, they can worship Satan, la 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 la, and... And you kind of get stuck in the middle trying to figure out the... Trying to parse out the truth. If truth can indeed be found. It uh, can be parsed. Yeah. Anyway, on that highly philosophical note, should we jump into another break? We shall. Okay, here we go. Whoa! <laughs> was fun wasn't it it was scary i didn't like it it's okay we just won't talk about what is at the center of the void of nothingness mm. and uh so let's talk about death yeah let's do that uh specifically the assassination of lincoln yeah okay so the clickbaity version of this is that john wilkes booth was a member of the knights of cash for gold and that they may have had a hand in planning his escape from the theater and to get to safety I can't confirm that at all. Yeah. In your script, it says I could neither confirm nor deny that. It sounds like you want to err on the side of <laughs> you don't think that happened. I don't think. I don't think that the KGC funded the assassination of Lincoln. And we'll get into the reason why I don't think that near the end. But basically... They were already kind of defunct by the time the assassination of Lincoln took place. Yeah, they had lost all of their funk. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. God. When you lose that funk. It happens to so many of us, and I hope it never happens to you. Hmm. <laughs> Dear listener. Okay. Um, although National Treasure 2 is 100% invested in it being the Knight Riders of the Golden Circle. Yeah. We do the research so that you don't have to, guys. So even though I remember watching the original National Treasure years ago, and I had, like, misremembered a bunch of stuff about it, we went straight to the sequel, and that's how we spent our Sunday afternoon last week. And it was... It was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I I remember liking National Treasure. Like, it, it being, like... A fun movie for what it is you know it's an it's a kids adventure movie yeah it's a brief overview and i guess spoilers for a movie that is over a decade old now but uh nicholas cage's character finds out that his great great grandfather so originally he claims that his great great grandfather was responsible for helping to decode a page in the diary of john wilkes booth which 
because it was never fully decoded, they think alluded to the existence of some hoard of treasure that was going to be used by the Knights of the Golden Circle to help fund their militant movements. And then this other guy, played by Erd Harris, comes along and he's like, no, your great-great-granddaddy was helping John Wilkes Booth because he was a member of the Knights of the Golden Circle. And... And that is kind of the last that we hear of that for an hour and 45 minutes. And Well, so what what he says happens in the movie is that he says that his grandfather, the KGC, comes to him and they're like, Hey, see, decode this message for us. And sure. he's like, no, I would never. And then he like, rips up. I'd rather up, die for my country. Which I will in approximately one minute after my child looks at me sadly. And he rips out the page of the diary and throws it into the fire. Um, yeah. And so then they're like, well, now we have to find the lost treasure of this Native American people, which they don't really specify who the Native American people are. They just speak a Native American language. I, the rest of that movie, I imagine if you are like a First Nations person from the US and you're watching that movie, that you're just like, oh my god. Like, it's worse than being a Scottish person and watching Braveheart, because they end up finding, like, a tr Spoiler. They end up finding a massive shrine, like a massive trove of Incan gold in, yeah. like, South Dakota, like, under Mount Rushmore. Yeah, at one point they say that they speak Olmec, like, the language they're decoding is Olmec. And this it's in, like, Florida that they discover this treasure, right? Uh-huh. And... I guess you could have... Who's speaking Olmec in Florida? Like, it's a Mesoamerican language. What is the tribe that still lives there to this day, like, in the swamps, the killing, <laughs> killing people that, like, stray in there? They're not... They're, they're not, not fond of strangers. They're the only Native American tribe to have never signed a treaty with the U.S. government, as far as I'm aware. They're called the Semi-Indians. Seem, which seems like a good way to go, because the ones who did sign <laughs> treaties... They they still have they have a reservation, but um, there are still native people living in the Everglades. And if you've ever been to and or seen pictures of the Everglades, um, it's inhospitable. Yeah, I've been there several times. I have family there, and it's like swampy to the extreme. There's of course alligators, but there are also um, cougars in there like panthers yeah just tons of like women in their 40s just like sipping martinis make this joke every single time i say the word cougar and i will <laughs> make this joke every single time anyway these people have figured out how to live in this really inhospitable place and um they're still technically at war with the u.s which i think is incredible <laughs> get them guys <laughs> get them good <laughs> you'll defeat us someday um, and I pray for that day. They just need to wait you guys out, essentially. So, long story short. And they go after this gold because it's going to um, clear the name and of Nicolas Cage's granddad. They never explain that. It's it's very frustrating. Yeah. Almost as frustrating as the assassination of Lincoln. What back. an excellent segue, Alicia. <laughs> back, back on track. <laughs> okay. So, that particular assassination of Lincoln was probably not masterminded by the KGC, but there was an earlier attempt on Lincoln's life. 
And that was in 1961, just after he was elected. 1961? Nope, 1961. Right before they killed JFK. I kept doing this in writing... 1861. Mm -hmm. So, um, according to a Time article, just before his inauguration in 1861, there was an attempt on his life, which could be traced back to the night blindness. These are getting worse. (laughs) I will admit I started to run out of ideas at a certain point. So, it could be associated with our group. Um, or at least the Baltimore faction, which operated independently of the larger organization. So luckily, the Pinkertons, which included the first female detective, thwarted this plot. Uh, Lincoln didn't make it easy, though. He refused to change his schedule, and his 11-day train trip to the Capitol with stop-offs for his meet-and-greets. And, and uh, so basically, they knew they knew that when he went to Baltimore and went to change trains this assassination attempt would happen on his life and they're like well come on let's just go to the capital like skip skip all these meet and greets stop talking to people and he was like no i can't miss i can't miss any of them and uh and he really wanted to go to it was a a, an event for um president washington Mm -hmm. that he was like i can't miss that for some reason (laughs) and so he Eventually got on the train and they they changed the train's last minute and put him in like a disguise. So this man is like he was very tall for his time period. He has like that really distinguishable beard. Like he's, I, I think a lot of dudes at that time were sporting that beard. But I appreciate your point. He's he's got that very prominent mole on his face. Yeah, sure. And he is um at this time period probably one of the most recognizable men. Simply because he's just been elected president. I mean, his face is in all the panties, so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, man, I know that guy. Just looking between, like, the change in their hand and the guy <laughs> in the train, like, wait a minute. Um. Okay, so eventually they they, they switched trains and kind of did, like, an all-nighter um, and stopped this kind of would-be assassination. Drop an MDMA and, yeah. like, yeah, Raven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Party train. But all this is to say that, like, the KGC were not the Knights. <laughs> is that one that you no, just made up? that's mine. That's mine. Yeah. Oh, good good job. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Um, they, they weren't just, like, empty threats. They, they were going to assassinate Lincoln if they could have. They funded um, his rival. Oh, Christ. I can't remember his name now. Yeah, the gentleman that he ran against uh, in the election towards the end of the Civil War, who was his former vice president, right? And it was almost certain he was a member of KGC. According to David Keane, he wore, like, he openly wore KGC pins, and uh, he had, like, friendships with other prominent members of KGC. They were fairly certain that he he was a high-ranking member of the organization and that had he been elected president, we would likely still be living in a slave or or the enslavement of people would have gone on a lot longer. Yeah, and actually, uh, people don't realize that that election, uh, Lincoln's second election, kind of went up to the wire. I think they were trying to, at that stage, the Union troops were trying to retake Atlanta and there wasn't a lot of public support for the war at this time. I think people were kind of losing faith in the 
the union cause. I think they just wanted them to sue for peace. And they had such a resounding victory there that it kind of shifted the tide and shifted public uh, opinion uh, back for Lincoln again. So, uh, yeah, you know, history could have been very different. John Breckenridge. There you go. That was his name. Okay, um, and I just want to give a shout out to uh, the Watcher's Puppet history episode, uh, how America's first female detective saved Abe Lincoln. It's it's definitely worth a watch. Makes history fun, guys. Yeah, all the puppet history shows are uh, are pretty fun. Mm. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that Baltimore faction of the KGC again in a little minute. Uh, let's talk about some golden doubloons. Ooh, my favorite kind of doubloons. Mm. If you are at all familiar with the Knights of the Circle K prior to listening to this episode, you may have heard their names mentioned in the same breath as the words Lost Treasure. And let's face it, what good Civil War legend would be complete without some long lost gold? Or ghosts. Or or ghosts. Or Scooby Doo? <laughs> yeah. Or a machine gun mounted on a rail car just, like, spraying horses and wagons left and right. Because that would be pretty cool, right? <laughs> just just imagine it. Sure. So would dinosaurs? Oh, my God. That's the crossover you need to write. Confederates versus... Forget, like, Alien versus Predator versus Terminator versus Robocop. I'm talking Confederates versus Union versus dinosaurs. Oh, I thought they'd be on dinosaurs. Yeah, but at some point the dinosaurs get loose, obviously. Yeah. Cuz somebody there's like betrayal. <laughs> there's like an old-timey scientist who's using like uh apothecary medicine to try and brainwash the dinosaurs to make them more pliable, but he ends up making like a super incensed like Tyrannosaurus Rex. Sure. Yeah. Sure, obviously. It, it writes obviously. itself. It writes itself. So gold. Yeah, back to gold. Uh, speaking on the origin of the Nightlights of the Golden Circle stash, author Jack Meyer said, quote, The KGC, which boasted some 3,000 members in Baltimore alone, was known to collect dues and initiation fees in the form of gold coinage. You'll recall earlier we talked about the $1, $5, and $10 membership fees for the various different degrees of the KGC. Some of that money was set aside, read buried, in anticipation of funding Latin American expeditions that never materialized. One northern stronghold of anti-Union sentiment was Baltimore, where many homes and boarding houses were said to have witnessed plots against the northern states and their government. These not only included multiple plans to assassinate President Lincoln, (gasps) but a plot to create a massive outbreak of yellow fever in New York. What? They were planning, like, a bioterror attack? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure what their dispersal device or, you know, how they were going to get yellow fever into New York. They were just going to shove it into some guy and shove him into New York. <laughs> Probably. I mean, as was the style of the time. Uh, but yeah, they, they wanted to hit a number of different northern cities with outbreaks of yellow fever. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it just makes sense. Guys, let's get on this. <laughs> Let's do biological work. <laughs> Guys, why are we doing more of this? And then somebody whispers in your ear like, Actually, the, the Warsaw Pact uh, between NATO and uh, the Geneva Convention. The former Soviet Union. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't. No, no, no. Also, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so we probably shouldn't. No, 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 no. Okay, so let's... Uh, uh, no, now no, that I've thought know. about it, 
I'm gonna backpedal a little bit. Yeah, let's uh, let's maybe pop a pin in that one. Uh, it was in one rebel stronghold known as the Fountain Hotel, where a huge cache of gold would later be discovered. Years after the war, when the hotel was being torn down, a box containing over 2,000 gold coins would be discovered. What would you do if you found uh, a box of oldie tiny gold coins? You mean besides keep it for myself and be rich? I mean, up to you. What would I realistically do if I found 2,000 gold coins? Would there be a difference between if you found... Like, $2,000, right, just in bills, in a suitcase under your house, versus if you found, like, 2,000 piratey-looking doubloons. I guess if you found doubloons, you'd have to worry about, like, well, how am I going to get this converted into money? Mm -hmm. And also, you know, historical value. That being said, I don't think a museum needs to have 2,000 gold coins. Surely you can look at, they all look the same. Nobody has a presentation case big enough to hold 2,000 gold coins. Are you going to put it in 2,000 slightly smaller presentation cases? Just seems like a waste of money if you ask me. Exactly. Uh, Look, museum curator, I found uh, a hundred... gold coin. (laughs) uh, A handful of gold coins. So, uh, however, one of the largest halls of hoarded Saturday Night Lives of the Golden Circle, I really ran out of inspiration at that point, wealth, was unearthed in Baltimore in 1934. Local youths Henry Grob and Theodore Jones discovered between 3,500 and 5,000 coins buried under the tenement house where they lived, which was placed in trust for them until they were 21 years old. Uh, officials at the time possibly failed to recognize the historical significance of their find. So they found a whole bunch of gold coins and the cops were like, yeah, no problem. We'll just put that in the bank for you um, and we'll just keep it until you turn 21. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome, but I discovered, sadly, one of the lads shortly before he turned 21, I think he I I don't know if this is related or not, he was working in a mayonnaise jar, a jarring plant and for some reason, he was, like, swimming in the docks outside of the plant while he had a head cold, caught full-blown pneumonia, and, of course, as a style of the time, died. So, uh, or, or could it be <laughs> <laughs> that his friend gave him pneumonia? Oh, I was thinking it was a uh, curse from the coins. Oh, oh yeah, uh, that's even Civil better. Civil War era <laughs> cursed gold. I should have known something was wrong when we opened the box and immediately it made a noise like... <sighs> and then this face made of mist came at me and seemed to envelop me in its mm-hmm. screaming mouth. Yeah. Um, once I was done speaking in tongues, I was like, that was weird. Anyway, time to take Put my money. Put this in Yeah, so anyway, that that's pretty crap, but... Uh, The coins eventually were auctioned off in uh, 1935 in 338 separate lots, bringing in a grand total of $20,000. It's estimated that these coins would be worth a total of in excess of $10 million in today's money. And that's why you keep the gold coins, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be a sucker, guys. Unless... Don't go in for all this, you know, historical accuracy and giving cultures back their stolen goods. 
you know, finders keepers. That's what I always say. <laughs> is the bottle of the British Empire. Um, um, okay. First of all, if it is someone's stolen goods, you should definitely give that back. But this is like kind of like uh, like Nazi gold, right? Yes, this is bad people money. It's bad people money. Yes. So it's got some bad juju, but just wash it off. You'll be fine. Yes, exactly. Wonder <laughs> uh, that money. <laughs> I've heard that vinegar and lemon is a really good, good for combo <laughs> for bad juju. Yeah. And it gives it just like a, a heavenly glean as well. What I was going to say was... If it's stolen money, doesn't matter, it's your money now. Unless you have reason to suspect that what you've unearthed is uh, a cache of uh, hitman money. Because mm. uh, if that is the case, w- like walk away and don't tell anyone because you don't want a no country for old men scenario. Sure, if you suspect that anybody knows that you found stolen money, don't, don't take it. So, writing in the Pensacola News Journal, Linda A.B. Davies explained, quote, The house once belonged to Captain John J. Mattison, who was a slave trader and probable member of the KGC. All around bad dude. Yep. He was certainly a close associate of other members. One of those was Andrew Salisbury, an outspoken recruiter for the cause who later bought the house from Mattison. The prevailing theory is that the treasure belonged to the KGC and not either one of the men personally. So... Yeah, that's that's why we think this is KGC gold. Storehouse for stolen... Well, it's not stolen money. Because it's uh, it's money that they're getting from, like, their members. They also were able to link it to Andrew Salisbury because the gold was sat atop a bed of just um, round, like, matched <laughs> stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there may still be millions of dollars worth of hoarded treasure buried in hidey holes across the USA and Canada. Uh, unfortunately, at this stage, we can really do uh, nothing but speculate. There aren't any of what you might call foremost authorities in the field of the Dark Knights of the Golden Circle treasure hunting, or at least they haven't published any best-selling books. There are, however, several vocal discussion boards and forums where treasure hunters and historians still swap ideas and opinions. And to be fair, we're not saying that, like, all of these people are cranks, you know. There was obviously money out there. People have found it. Yeah, it just tends to be that the people who find it aren't the ones deciphering codes and riddles. They tend to be, like, a couple of kids in a basement who were bored because it was raining, literally, like, it was raining outside, so they went looking in the basement under their house. Or, in the case of the Fountain Hotel, they were tearing down the building, they find it in the foundations. So... That's that's the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? You <laughs> Yeah, I don't think most of the time you're ever going to find, like, oh, well, they left a notebook that says these undecipherable words, but if I look at them in the mirror and then copy that onto, I don't know, black paper, the real message will shine through. Yes, we all know how Leonardo da Vinci was so fond of uh, hiding messages in lemon juice and then you just shove it up your ass or something like that and it's decoded life is so seldom as easy as it is in a national treasure or da vinci code movie or any of those movies where they're like well we're gonna go dredge the ocean for sunken ships and we're gonna get like spanish doubloons if you do that the spanish government will come down on you yes 
General consensus surrounding any potential treasure trove says that the Knights of the Crop Circles were not in the habit of printing maps of the ten paces to the west till you reach the Cave of Skulls variety, and given that they were a secret society built upon symbols and secret codes, this does make sense. Rather, bloggers and vloggers suggest that the Night Sweats of the Golden Circle would use things like symbolic carvings and signs to direct people, think unusually shaped trees or purposely stacked piles of stones. Uh, apparently one of their go-tos as well is just sticking nails in trees, so you just look until you find a, a nail in a tree. As uninspiring as that might sound. Yeah, they're not very creative, this group, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's the order of, it's all like old-fashioned imagery, and you're just putting nails in trees. And just imagine that there's just some kid out there earlier who's just like, burp, 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 like nailing <laughs> You know, doing stupid kid stuff, putting nails in trees, and then you've got a load of, like, old white racists, like, trying to find their way through the forest. <laughs> it's a great way to trap a bunch of old white racists, though, right? Yeah, and unfortunately, nails rust, or trees grow around them, and so a lot of the things that were... Presumably, they put them in the ground so they could unearth them that same year or a couple of years down the line, whenever they might need the money to help rebuild their military... Now you're talking over 150 years later, so yeah, it's getting on for time. One added wrinkle and perhaps a rationalisation as to why more hasn't been found is that at some point after the war, the Knight's Tale of the Golden Circle moved and amalgamated some of the smaller stashes. Another is that the common practice to leave purposely misdirecting signs for would-be thieves. So uh, what they would do sometimes is leave something that looked like a really clear sign. But actually, as crazy and conspiratory as this sounds, it it would be like a double bluff, right? Sure. Like, trying to lead people astray, essentially. It's like fake treasure maps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or fake maps to the stars. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh my god, that's Ben Affleck. And he's like, I'm just a man! Watering my lawn! <laughs> Uh, we may never know, but given to this, that to this day, people are still stumbling across Roman coinage from over 2,000 years ago... Maybe there's still hope of uncovering one last score. Fingers crossed, guys. I want this for you. I want this for us. So, what do you think? Are they still active today? I think... No. I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of trying to keep secrets, right? Because, again, the Freemasons are meant to be a secret society... And they have blogs and discussion boards, like one of the videos, that one of the most helpful videos that I watched about the Knights of the Golden Circle was a guy uh, doing, I guess they have like discussion evenings, like um, like presentation evenings where they'll just present stuff and be like, I'm really into crocheting, so I'm going to tell you how to crochet. And this guy happened to be presenting uh, from one Freemason group in Minnesota, like, I'm really into history, and so I stumbled across this organization called Knights of the Golden Circle. So my point being, if Just they were a bunch of dads, <laughs> yeah, if if they were still alive today, they would be a bunch of dads who maybe have uh, some slightly uh, conservative ideas. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, word would have gotten out somehow. Yeah. I'm also, but bear in mind, I'm also not the kind of person who thinks that the Illuminati is alive and well and running all, you know, every government of the world in, in uh, corridors behind the scenes because way word too would much get out. Communication. They can't even communicate with each other. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, so it does seem as though the election of Lincoln and the Civil War were more than the Knights of the Golden Retrievers could weather. Their primary goal, after all, had been to champion Southern rights and to, quote-unquote, southernize Mexico, read, conquer, and reinstate slavery. It's a strange way to phrase that, because Mexico is already really Southern. <laughs> but he's not Southern. Oh, they want to southernize Mexico. That makes a lot more sense. Mm. To that end, they had fought the election of Lincoln dearly and backed Breckenridge. And with that blow, as well as the bloody mess that was the American Civil War, Knights of the Golden Wedding Anniversary, that's rough, <laughs> seemed to be washed away like the shit stain they were. That isn't to say, I, do I have to read these? <laughs> Please. <laughs> It, it, was a, it was a lot of work on my part. Okay. Almost as much work as the initial research. That isn't to say that the nighty... Night, nightly? Is it supposed to be nightly? I mean, I, I it, it's not perfect. Just read it the way it should be read. <laughs> that isn't to say the nightly news of the Golden Circle didn't have some hand in the fighting itself. They organized fighters and assisted in the capture of San Antonio. Some organizations were said to join the Confederate Army as groups. It seems like some members of the Saturday Night Fevers of the Golden Circle were absorbed into other secret societies, like the Order of the American Knights and the Sons of Liberty. The Sons of Liberty was originally an anti-British rule group that was famous for the Boston Tea Party, but I believe the Knights of the Golden Flaky Crust just used the name and became the Order of the Sons of Liberty. Very original. They claimed... Oh my god, there's so many, and this is so confusing. <laughs> you wrote KGC so many times. They claimed that the organization... The Don't miss that one. That was my favorite one. They claimed that the Gladys Knights of the Golden Circle... Thank you. ...was too full of Union spies. And I like to think that they couldn't figure out who the spies were because of the clandestine nature of their organization. It's too secret for them to even know who's supposed to be there. It's just spy versus spy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but with real dumb lies. <laughs> so the members of the Sons of Liberty, the group that was probably KGC, uh, would eventually be tried and convicted of treason in 1864 and sentenced to death or imprisonment. But alas, it's not a happy ending as the Supreme Court overturned the verdict in 1866. Uh, we were talking earlier about how the Civil War itself was brewing for a long time. And there was a lot of events in the news which had culminated in that. One was a result of, I think, the the Scott Dredd case, uh, where uh, a, an enslaved man was taken by his quote-unquote master from the southern slave states north to Illinois, which was a free state at the time. And uh, Mr. Dredd uh, basically said, well, I'm in a free state, therefore I shouldn't be a slave. And the case went all the way up through the courts to the Supreme Court, where a verdict was handed down by one of the Supreme Court justices at the time, which was not only racist in its in its decision, but... Ra super racist in its uh, content. It was basically talking about how uh, black people are inherently inferior to white people and therefore they need to be ruled by white people, etc. And that was so uh, just, you know, earth-shaking because that 
basically demolish the notion of free states, right? If you if you can't be a freed man in a free state, then all the states must be slave states, right? So it doesn't surprise me at all that um, the Supreme Court in 1866 was still pretty stanky. Sure, not everybody is a Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, you know... R.I.P. <laughs> definitely. Um, but, you know, term limits for every single position in U.S. politics is all I'm saying. There you go. Overall, the knights of the Whoopi Goldberg collapsed in the face of war. Really, like, undercutting... <laughs> My messages. (laughs) I just needed something with the word gold in it. I'm sorry, that's the last one, I promise. Overall, they collapsed in the face of war. Poorly financed and even more poorly led, according to C.A. Bridges. Even without the war, it was unlikely that they would have amounted to much. So, I guess we're lucky that these old racists were dumb and underfunded. Yeah. Yeah, we are. So there is some speculation that the KGC is basically the precursor to the KKK. The idea here being that where the KGC ended is in the same time period and physical location as where the KKK started. While I don't think that there's like a direct link as in um it's obviously not George Bickley because he's dead by this point, but mm-hmm. you know with leaders of the KGC founding KKK, the the point here is that all, these people were joining multiple organizations, so it's not unlikely that, like, KGC fails, and they're like, well, some guys over here are spouting some real great racist nonsense. Let's join them. Yeah. It, it, I mean, if you're looking for individuals, uh, you potentially have... I, I believe his name is Nathaniel Forrest. He's he's referenced in the movie Forrest Gump because the, the joke in the movie is that Forrest says that he is named after a famous Southerner who was really fond of writing around in white sheets. That, that Forrest is a real guy and he was, I believe, the first Grand Wizard of the KKK, so which dumb. you can't say with a straight face. <laughs> so somebody dumb. wrote that down. Somebody was like, Oh yeah, god damn, that sounds hell cool. Oh, Grand Wizard. And so fucking metal. Oh yeah. And, and but anyone in their right mind who hears that is like, are you playing D D, bro? What is your problem? Anyway, so he was the first Grand Wizard of the KKK, and he supposedly was uh, an earlier member of the KGC. On a superficial level, you've got the signs and symbols, so the Knights of the Golden Circle. Ku Klux is a derivation, supposedly, of the Greek word kuklos, which means circle, so you can take it that. Um, and you can also look at just, I don't know, the the DNA, the genetic makeup, that um, on the one hand, you've got this older organization that is in love with the idea of the old South, and or the contemporary South, I guess it would have been, and their way of life, i.e. using human slaves as a form of industry and then the kkk which are basically if not trying to fully reinstate that then support something very akin to that so i don't know even if there's not there's there's definitely members of one in the other yeah and that's simply down to the fact that all of these guys were interconnected. You had people in the Order of the Sons of Liberty who were in the KGC. You had all these different groups who didn't really amount to much. But if you are 
A bigot? No. Like, uh, like consumed by something. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, if, if you feel like this is your ultimate goal, is to, like, enslave a race of people because they're inferior to you, you're not gonna just stop because your organization has stumbled. You're gonna be like, oh, well, there's some other people here who are saying some things that I find real interesting. I mean, a similar example, a lot of history's most famous fascists, like Hitler and Mussolini, uh, you know, didn't start out as quote-unquote fascists. They started out as diehard socialists or anarchists, uh, as did a lot of their peers, and they kind of bounced around between different groups who all had very different ideas about how individual nation-states and societies should be run, and then at some point became disillusioned with that particular cause and then jumped into another group of, you know, similar-minded people, you could see the same thing here. Or kind of like how, I don't know, uh, you, you've you you've got Paul McCartney in, uh, what was that band? I get uh, the Beat somethings, and the, before he really, like, struck out and made it big with Wings, right? Yeah, before, before, like, before he became, became a household Paul name. McCartney. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just go, like, uh... Break a couple of eggs before you make a delicious musical omelette. Should we talk some weird facts? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why don't you go first? Well, I, I wanted to blow your mind and tell you where the term break a leg comes from. And I wanted to tell you unequivocally that it was from when uh, John Wilkes Booth assassinated Lincoln and jumped over the balcony, hit the stage... And injured his leg or broke his leg before shouting some nonsense and then running away. That's probably not where it comes from, given that apparently there's a 50-year gap between that particular usage and when it became popular, say, in theatrical circles. It's also not... it wasn't very lucky for him overall. Yeah, unless it's kind of like... Well, what's the worst that could happen? As long as a politician doesn't get assassinated as a show, like, you know, do your best. Um, so there's a couple of different ideas. One is that it could be a German or Yiddish term. So we think it comes from the German phrase Hals und Beinbruch, which literally means neck and leg bone break, uh, which itself comes from Yiddish, uh, which in that context is given kind of like as a success or blessing. In Hebrew, apparently, it's Haslacha Ubracha. You, you know, I'm saying that like you, you're like, oh yeah, Hatsaka yeah, 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 yeah totally. I speak Hebrew. Yeah, Gesundheit. Mm. Um, so, and then later examples of people using that particular phrase included German pilots during the First World War who would say it to one another before jumping into their planes and going and doing some bombing runs. Uh, apparently, it was also used as a term in horse racing. Before jockeys would get on their horse, they would say something like, may you break your leg to one another, although it was intended to be used as like an insult to your fellow, like your competitors. And then there are other terms related to theater. So you could break the leg as in when you take a bow or a curtsy, you're breaking the line of your leg. But I think the most interesting one is ancient Greek or Elizabethan audiences at plays. So the ancient Greeks wouldn't clap, they would stamp their feet, and the Elizabethans apparently would kind of, I guess, jump up and down in their chairs, like smack the uh, legs of the chair off the ground. So you want it to be so good that the audience is breaking their legs? I mean, isn't that what you want? 
I want to put on a show that's so good. I want people listening to this show to be so enthralled that they literally grip their own ears and try and rip their ears off. And at the end of the day, isn't that what all podcasters want? No. So what's your weird fact? Um, it's not theater related. Okay. <laughs> okay. Does it have to be? Um, while we are researching Knights of the Golden Circle, there there are so many secret societies that are kind of based off this kind of like old timey values, you know, harken back to the day of chivalry and knights and ladies and back when it was good. I'm pretty sure we still have ladies, but okay. No, they don't exist anymore. Uh, so one theory is that Sir Walter Scott's novels like Ivanhoe were so famous at the time it in influenced a lot of this kind of knight talk. And that's where so many people got these ideas to form these societies because it's so much in the zeitgeist. It would be like, maybe you decided to go into D&D because of... Uh, it, because it's featured on stuff like Stranger Things mm -hmm. and yeah, there's been a few different retro properties set in or around the 1980s with kids playing D&D. &D. Yeah. yeah. Or it just like influences the things that you read or the things that you talk about with your friends and Sir Walter Scott's novels were so big that it kind of brought back into fashion the idea of chivalry. Mm -hmm. Not that these people were chivalrous, but also chivalry is a conduct code for combat, so maybe they were. But I just found it was found it interesting that this idea that a novel could inspire so many people in in all sorts of secret societies, not just Knights of the Golden Circle. I mean, Sir Walter Scott was certainly a big deal at the time. He's the reason why the main train station in Edinburgh is called Waverley Station. It's named for his book, Waverley. Uh, and he's also got a big-ass monument right outside. Um, but yeah, apparently his apparently he wrote uh, a lot about ancient Scotland hmm. for, for Victorian readers, and he was issuing it as fact when what yeah. he was putting out was highly fanciful. Kind of like what Mel Gibson did for Braveheart. It's the second time I mentioned that on uh, today's show. <laughs> Mel Gibson is trash. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget, kids. Uh, you He's know. also a racist piece of shit. I mean, he gave us uh, some fantastic Lethal Weapon movies and then some... Uh, he's he's allegedly, sorry, he's allegedly a piece of shit, racist piece of shit. No, no, he straight up <laughs> is. But look, you could, be, you could be more than one thing, all right? <laughs> Michael Jackson, fantastic musician, amazing dancer, touch the wall kids, right? Let's, let's you know, you, you could be on more than note. one thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, bearing that in mind, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please give us a like, give us a follow, and leave a review. This has been Enter the Rabbit Hole, as always, reminding you to... Don't try and take over a swath of land and reinstate slavery. Yeah, don't even do it to your neighbor's back garden because... They're already there, and they might have a problem, even if you're like, filibuster, filibuster. Say no to filibustering. Say no to also filibusters. Also in politics, say no to filibustering. Yeah. Just in general. Or if you have a friend named Buster, or Phil, say no to them. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. Anyway, guys, take care for now. Bye-bye. Ciao. Enter the Rabbit Hole is written and presented by William Grant and Alicia Palmer. 
The music was created by Glenn Marshall. More information and sources can be found in the episode description. You can email us at etrhthepod at gmail or follow us on Instagram at etrhthepod. Thanks for listening. <laughs>